The Royals departed the winter meetings last week without making much news, but that's typically been the case for the organization. What the Royals tend to do with this function is plant the seed for moves that'll be made over the next few weeks. On today's Sports Beat KC, presented by Big O Tires, Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy, columnist Sam Mellinger, and Vahe Gregorian join me, Blair Kirkhoff, in breaking down the winter meetings and what may lie ahead for the Royals. It's Tuesday, December 17th. Here's Lynn, Sam, Vahe, and me talking some hot stove baseball. Lynn, there's snow outside. I'm thinking there was not snow outside last week in San Diego. No, no, I missed it if it was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get to get outside? People think that when these baseball meetings are in exotic places that you just basically play on the beach all day. And uh... <laughs> I got outside, let's see, probably for dinner on most of the nights. There's one where I just literally stayed in the hotel. And then the last day I was there, um, there, was a, there was actually a KC barbecue place right across the street from the hotel. Famous um, KC barbecue place. Yes, exactly. Place. It was, it's, uh, I guess the owners are from Kansas City, and also it's um, – some scenes from Top Gun were filmed there. Yep, so for sure. Uh, I made it there, I think, the very last day I was in town. But on a, on I've seen a picture tweeted from that Kansas City barbecue restaurant that has the Kansas City Star, like, sports covers in it. It did at one time. Yeah. I don't know if it does anymore, yeah. but it did. And on a future podcast, maybe I'll, I'll talk about the time that I had dinner there with Bob Frederick and Haskell Monroe, uh, the former <laughs> Missouri president, and we watched a KU-MU basketball game from Kansas City Barbecue. Was that uh, the last time a KU athletic director and Missouri president, had, chancellor, ate together? Had to have been. And it wasn't arranged for a story. It was just, you know, let's where are we going to go to dinner? Uh, it was at NCAA meetings back in the 90s. <laughs> so back when things like that could happen. <laughs> Don't happen much anymore, so... Uh, but the baseball uh, winter meetings were there, and the Royals were not the most active of teams <laughs> at the winter meeting. But I think we've come to know that that's the case with the Royals. They just historically haven't done much it, at the winter meetings. But there has been some some signings and some other movement since then. Let's, so let's start with the news of the day. The Royals actually made some news today with the signee, um, signing of uh, uh, Braden Shipley. Yep, former first-round pick of the Diamondbacks in 2013, debuted in the majors in 2016. He really hasn't pitched that much um, in the majors, that is. 24 games, and I believe the number was 12 or 14 starts, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, again, in my mind, it's another one of those reclamation projects where it's a guy who you know hasn't done a whole lot, but they're looking for some upside and low cost. I mean, it's... You know, pretty much has got Royals written all over it. It's one of those guys that's just, you know, I mean, it's what you expect. But they, they look for guys that, you know, with, where if you hit it big, nobody expected it. And if he doesn't hit, you're not really losing that much. And they need pitching. They need pitching any way they can find it. So, I mean, this offseason, they added Trevor Rosenthal. They added uh, Shipley. They took the kid. Um, Stephen uh, Woods, Jr. Woods, yeah, Stephen the, Woods, Jr. Is it Rule 5? Rule 5, so. I mean, none of them is going to really move the needle, but, I mean, if you hit on one of those, maybe it's a guy that you, you know, is part of something down the line and, again, not costing you much. I was intrigued by Trevor Rosenthal just because of the the flash that he showed with the Cardinals. I, I, I can't tell you what the stretch was, but I'll tell you, for a while, he was about as good as there was in baseball. Yeah, it was, I want to say it was uh, – I want to say – 
13, 14, I can't remember if it was 13, 14, 14, 15, but he was an all-star one of those years, um, saved 40 games. Uh, it was under Matheny, who was, I think was a big part of him coming to the Royals because you know, he'd been to Matheny's house you know, since the end of this past season. And the Royals tried to get him last offseason when he originally signed with, I believe it was the Nationals. Um, and then he, he was released in the middle of the season, and they tried to get him again. Um, and I, th I want to actually to to go back to Nationals. I think the price was a little high, so they just did, they 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 weren't really in contention there because I think the Nationals gave him like seven, eight million, something like that. Um, when he got released, they wanted to try and get him again, and then Detroit got him because I think uh, the Royals wouldn't guarantee that he'd be in the majors. Um, so he went to Detroit, and then he ended up the season with the Yankees in AAA. And as a as a bonus, he's from here. He's a he's a can at least someone I think. At least someone, yep. yep. I'm just looking at it here. He uh, he had 93 saves in 14 and 15, and uh, you know, still what is this? 435 strikeouts and 325 career innings. So he's got it. Hasn't done squat since 2017. Yeah, he had he had Tommy John, um, but yeah. And so he last year was the first year back from Tommy John, and the control was all over the place. I mean, he's still throwing you know average 98 if I remember right. Yeah. But it was just the walks. It was you know that first year back the command wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and so they're banking yeah. on that the second year, yeah. you know, he'll find that and still have the velocity, and they could you know pull something out of him. That's how it often goes. You know, um, 26 walks and 15 innings last year, but um, you know they they say the longer you get it going, you know, the, the better feel you have. Real late bloomer from a prospect standpoint. You know, he wasn't a kid who was like a, a big prospect out of high school, but but grew and grew stronger, grew taller and stronger and, and put a lot of zip on his, you know, on his fastball. So, um, you know, it'd be great if it works out. If, it if it would kid be. makes good. I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, the Royals have certainly tried a, a number of these reclamation projects as pitchers. I feel like the only guy that stands out to me right now, and maybe I'm just not thinking of three guys, but it was Ryan Madsen. Chris um, Young. And Chris would, Young, would to some degree, right? Yeah, for some period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the best one that they've ever had, uh, you know, at least with this front office, might be Joaquin Soria. Uh, you know, was he, a rule, he was a Rule 5. Rule originally. 5, yeah. Uh, I, I think he had not pitched above A ball. Um, and, uh, you know, a little Rule 5 is different than, than what we're talking about here, but. Um, you know, Brad Keller, another Rule Five yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. done well. Good, yeah, I mean, as call. far as those those signings, I think if, I think Dayton might even have mentioned it. Like that, Chris Young might have been one of the best ones that they've had. As far mm -hmm. as just those those sort of, I think they the, they use the um, value signings, or you mm -hmm. know, they they use that term. Um, and yeah, I mean, and you say Rule Five. That was the one thing about the Woods kid, where I was just sort of like, I don't know, he hadn't pitched, he hasn't pitched above a ball yet. I mean, they really, I think they like. You know the velocity and the curveball. They really like the curveball, but hasn't pitched above eight ball, so we'll see. But maybe they get a you know a Keller like uh, deal out of them. They think he could relieve and uh, start potentially. So yeah, they're good moves. You know, if, if you make ten of these moves and two of them work out, then that's great. You yeah, know, there, there's no risk. Yeah, the risk. It's like what are you what are you risking? I mean, uh -huh. you know, they they made some room on that forty man roster so they could make some picks. They I think they pretty much knew they were only going to make one pick because. The Rule 5 this year, just everybody, the, the sense was that the pool wasn't that great. So, I mean, like, they had the fourth pick. So, you probably got to pick somebody with that one, use that one, take a flyer on somebody. But mm -hmm. after that, there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah. At least it wasn't viewed as there's a whole lot there, but you're not losing anything to take a shot. 
They squeezed every drop out of Chris Young, didn't they? They got every last mm-hmm. productive inning mm-hmm. that was in his body yeah. in the post in the 2015 postseason, and then kept paying him. <laughs> Continued to pay him <laughs> after that. Yeah. Well, as, as, a, as a gesture, I think exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. We did, all in all, it was worth it. <laughs> right. Um, but but the, uh, the the winter meetings in, in the last few weeks did not pro- necessarily produce you know, a lot of movement uh, for for the Royals in terms of their roster. But there was some there, there were some interesting stories from from San Diego and and, uh, and in that time frame, Lynn. I thought the the idea of um, you know Ryan O'Hearn taking over first base and wanting to give him every opportunity for you know it sounds like one of those five hundred at bat type of seasons uh, for for Ryan O'Hearn coming up. Let's just see if he if he can just grab the position and um, that and and also uh, Matheny talking about. Merrifield, the, the versatility of Merrifield and Dozier, and what that might mean for the lineup, and uh, and, and what that flexibility uh, gives. I, look, I, I don't, I don't know if you know if, if it's something that you say now, and you get to spring training, and you see Merrifield at one position for for most of the time. But at least those were some topics that came out of them. Yeah, spring. and I don't know how. And I'd ask this question: I don't know how realistic it is to think that. Dozier and Merrifield are going to move around all season, like be everyday guys without, you know, set positions. Um, but I, I definitely do believe it's something that they're at least thinking about right now. I mean, it's, you, you mean November, December, you can think about a whole lot of things. Um, doesn't mean it's going to play out that way, but I think it's something they're considering. And Dayton even went as far as to say they're going to look at options at third base because they feel like they may be able to sign somebody, make a good deal there, and use Dozier as an outfielder more. Um, so, I mean, I think they'll look at these things. I just don't know. Like, I couldn't tell you right now that for sure we're going to see those guys move around all season. I, I, I feel like that's doubtful, but I think early in the season for sure. Like, you know, that first 40 games they like to talk about, like coming out of spring training, if they're still not sure about some things, it'll be, I think there'll be some moving parts for sure. It's an interesting question at, for them to be saying all that at the time of declaring O'Hearn, you know, going to get him the 500 at-bats basically or however you want to look at, you know, give him every chance simply because it seems like, First would be one of the places Dozier would also fit if you're talking about mass movements. You're really just saying Dozier's going to play some in the outfield and at third if you're buying into that. Well, there's so many people, when you stop and think about that, they might take a look at it first base because O'Hearn, they want to give him every shot. They feel like he's you know a big-time hitter that they could be in the middle of that line, but, uh, lineup, left-handed guy. Um, but McBroom, who they picked up late last season, um, who didn't really show the power they did in the minors, but in the minors he put up big numbers. And this wasn't Pacific Coast League. This was, you know, in the International League. Um, so he'll get a look at first base, or at least he'll be in the mix at first base. If you try to talk about Dozier, possibly. And then Salvi's going to move around, yeah. coming back off of Tommy John. And so he's going to be in the mix as DH in first base, too. So there's a lot of people who, again, this is why there's going to be moving parts. I think definitely through those first 40 games, unless – you know, there's some moves and injuries and, you know, maybe that pool shrinks. But I think there's definitely going to be people moving around. All of this kind of speaks to the the notion of Royals 2020 as, um, you know, all present company included. We're not talking about anybody outside of the organization or what the Royals uh, might, a piece or two that the Royals might add uh, that, would, uh, that would elevate their prospects. And I think that is – Sort of the the big philosophical question that that um, that the Royals face right now is, you know, are they can are they are they playing for 2021, 2022, or 
Are there some moves they can make that can make them competitive in 2020? I don't know what that moves would be, what those moves would be. Well, wouldn't it, first of all, wouldn't it involve losing your most, some of your most, the, the pieces that you've identified as most valuable, Merrifield or Solaire or Duffy? To win in 2020? To, to have a better chance of competing in 2020. Yeah. At I, a time when the division seems to be. That's true. You know, yeah. well, you know I, I think the Twins are going to be good again, but the, you know, the Indians just got, just dumped Corey Kluber. Yeah. Um, to me, I, th- I think they look at this. They wouldn't say this, right? But I, I think they look at this as, you know, as 2020 is like sort of a fact-finding mission, for lack of a better way of putting it, on, on how they can win in 2021. You know, um, and, and a huge part of it's going to happen in May, June, July when the, those kids start coming up, when Brady Singer and Jackson Coe are in that, in that group. Um, they're they're going to start, you know, matriculating uh, to, to the big leagues uh, somewhere somewhere around there. And then, and then they can have a better feel for, you know, okay, is, is this thing going to happen quick? Can we make some moves, you know, uh, the, the winter after, the winter between 20 and 21? Uh you know, or is this going to be a little bit longer, longer term thing? I mean, they're going to say we're trying to compete and, you know, all those things. But um, it, it's hard to the, the list of things that would have to go well to turn a 103 loss team. And I know they had some bright spots with Solaire and Maryfield and all these other guys. But uh, the list of things that would have to go right for a 103 loss team, especially on the pitching staff, um, to turn around and win. 85, you know, if, if, if you're an 85 win team, you're in it in September. You are, you're, you're second, second wild card territory. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it just, there, there's a lot that has to go right for that to happen. Um, you know, in addition to Hunter Dozier repeating, <laughs> in addition to Alex Gordon being good, you know, uh, assuming that that happens. Uh, it, it's just a long list. Yeah, this is, I mean, I, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember there's a year in Boston where they called it the bridge year. Because they, were, they yeah. had guys that were going to be coming up, and they basically had a team full of guys who were, like, I don't want to say holding the place, but, like, they knew this team, like, okay, be decent this year until we get this new core in. Uh, or until this, this group, like, this, the core and then the new young guys added to that is ready to, like, go forward and compete for World Series, which they did, but... That term got to be such a dirty term. I remember in Boston, the the bridge year, um, and 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 that's the in the big, big market. Yeah. You know, like that's in the, that's in the big market. When it's a small market, that bridge year looks a whole lot different, and you don't want to be making labels like that on it because it just it lends itself to criticism. Um, yeah, I was gonna say a bridge year in Boston. Uh, what is that like? 88? <laughs> Eighty-eight wins or something? Uh, you know, maybe maybe a wild card spot. Uh, but I know what you, I know what you're talking about. And, and you're right when you talk about the uh, the rebuild. Yeah, type they of, won't use that term anymore. No, but that's what it is essentially. Waiting on prospects to develop and and, and get to the majors. It's it is different in a, in a market the size yeah. of. Boston versus Kansas City. Yeah. You know, as far as uh, just would you you had mentioned the wouldn't it be you know if you were making the deal moving one of those guys. I think it really matters though on what you're getting back. And I don't think they find what they're looking for as far as something they get yeah. back for Whit Merrifield at this point that's going to make a big enough difference where they're going to move him. I mean, like you hear these these teams that supposedly like him and um, or they want him. And I think it was out there at the winter meetings. Um, Somebody from the Royals used the term like you know, oh, we hear that so and so wants them. No, they don't want him. They like him. If you know, if they wanted him, then they would do what was needed to get the deal done. 
It sounds very high school. Uh, high school um, I just was thinking when you used the term bridge year, it is interesting to, and there's no way to know this answer, but just to think about how many guys will be on opening day 2020 roster versus how many will be, how many of the same guys will be on opening day 2021. I mean, there's, there's no way to know that. I don't, I don't even know what to think, how different it will be 2020 from 2019. I guess it will be 7, 8, 9, 10 different, different guys on the opening day roster. I, I'm not, not sure about that. You have to go back and look at last year's opening roster because I'm trying to think. Because even then, because of the way the beginning of the season like was stretched out, like there was – I mean, technically, I don't think Homer Bailey or Jorge Lopez – like there's some guys mm. who just weren't on there just because of – Right, You could right. sort of fudge it with, with right. starting pitching. So you still had Chris Ellis, who was the Rule 5 pick, like who made his Major League debut last season, and then he was gone – couple of weeks later when they actually needed starters and all that sort of stuff so that I'm sure it'd be a lot different but like when you factor those things in like you know guys who were sort of on the opening day roster but weren't <laughs> really going to be um actually now I think I think Jorge was because I think they I don't think they had options on Jorge so he he was on the roster but I think Homer wasn't and I'm trying to remember how else they sort of finagled that to start uh the season but yeah um off the top of my head who I mean in you know, Salvi was injured. Um, you had Chris Owings. You had Chris uh, Owings. Billy yes. Hamilton. You had, um, you know, Nicky Lopez wasn't here. Um, I think who else? Uh, Frank Schwindel made the team last year out of out of spring training. So there was, you know, um, Lucas Duda. Lucas Duda. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely going to be. Different. I mean, I think the big the big differences, though, the ones that are going to make the impact over the next year or so are going to be the pitching staff. Like how many of those young kids, How who do they fill in with? Um, guys that get moved from right now where they're starters sort of out of necessity this last year to get put in the bullpen where they really should be. Like That's going to be the big impact ones, I feel like, over the next – going into the next year and the year after that. All right, let's take a break here to hear from our friends from uh, Big O Tires. And when we come back, we'll talk about – a column that Sam Ellinger wrote recently about the Royals and a kind of a philosophical choice that, uh, that may confront John Sherman. We'll be back right after this. The biggest sale of the year is happening now at Big O Tires. Buy two tires, get two free on select tires in stock. That's two free tires when you buy an alignment and tire protection package. That's 50% off tires at Big O Tires. It's going on now, but it all ends soon. Buy two tires, get two free at all participating Big O Tires. Installation additional, plus shop fee of up to 10% of non-discounted retail price, not to exceed $35. Hurry, sale ends Monday, December 23rd. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We are back with Lynn Worthy, Vahe Gregorian, and Sam Mellinger, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Royals, kind of hot stovey 
It is kind of hot stovey, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> for some teams more than others, <laughs> <laughs> right? But um, hey, before you know it, we'll all be at Bartle Hall at Fan Fest. Yeah. You know, the only question at that point will be. Will the Chiefs still be in the playoffs? I guess at that point, it would it'd be Super Bowl week for the Chiefs. I, would it? I think it would be, right? It's well, always the last week in January. And Super Bowl Super or Bowl's Disappointment Week. Right. One of those two. There's right. no in-between. Right. It's, so, a, it's 100 days to opening day today. How about them? 100 days to opening day. You better get your vacation in, Lynn. Yeah, it's uh, like 12 it's days right. until pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about the. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, well, you go home for Christmas. I'm going to be home almost till New Year's. And then it's like, okay, you come back, and it seems like Fan Fest is right around the corner. And then after that, it's like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, get ready to go to Surprise. And the Royals may do a lot of their signings in January. Yeah, that's you know? the other thing, too. <laughs> Late January, February is when they're going to start signing people. And then it's, yep. yeah. Yep. And then, and then it's October. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and you haven't had a day off in seven months. So. Um, all right, Sam, I, I really enjoyed the column you wrote on, on Sunday about the Royals and – uh, basically, I thought about this a lot. The um, the Oakland A's approach mm-hmm. to roster uh, composition versus other teams, really, um, in terms of market size and and revenue, they're they're small, mm-hmm. right? They're middle to small yeah. market. Definitely in terms of revenue. In success, they have been uh, a model, really, of small market success, not ultimate success. But in terms of fielding a competitive team just about every year, a playoff contending team uh, in, in most years, and that's been the case for a couple of decades now. And, but, but to do that, it, it requires some sacrifice. And one of the big sacrifices is you better not, if you're, a fan, if you're an Oakland A's fan, you better not get attached to players <laughs> who, who are good uh-huh. because the A's will spin that player off and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and bring somebody else in, a newcomer in. So is this, is this a, a viable option for the Royals Well, or something they should consider? I think it's something that they are considering. Um, and it's – look, we, we don't know what John Sherman wants yet. All we've had is an introductory press conference. Um, we won't know what he wants until the track record builds of – you know, either the direction of the front office changing or not. And, but I think that if you, if you read between the lines a little bit from that press conference, and if you talk to some people in, in the game, th- there's a, a feeling that, you know, he talked about sustainability a lot, which is a great thing to talk about. Um, but what that really means in practice is something very different than how the Royals have operated so far. And that's not good, that's not bad. You know, it's just, it, it's different. And there's a logical case to be made for each approach. The Roy- what the Royals have done is basically go for broke. Um, you know, when, when they were building, uh, you know, they made the Will Myers trade, you know, that <laughs> turned into the James Shields trade, that turned into the Wade Davis trade. Uh, you know, they, they traded Grinky. I know the, the circumstances on that one were different because Zach wanted out. Um, but then they trade, uh, you know, the pitching prospects for Johnny Cueto. They trade Shamanaya for Ben Zobris. Um, these are all – the Royals were, were, were good, but they're trying to get better kind of moves. Those, those are go-for-broke moves. Um, if your goal is sustainability, if your goal is to have a playoff contending team in more seasons than you don't, like the A's have done, I don't think you don't make those moves. 
you know? And, um, and another thing that you do that the Royals didn't do is after the season of 2016, I think you trade those valuable pieces. You trade Lorenzo Cain to somebody um, and, and get back what you can. You know, you, you, you get ahead of that rebuild um, to, to sort of, you know, the, the peaks may not be as high because you don't trade for Ben Zobrist and Wade Davis and all that stuff, but hopefully the, val- the valleys aren't as low either. Um, because you're you're sort of um, you know cushioning a little bit, and um, I kind of like the go for broke, and maybe that's just being a sports writer, and like it makes for like you know good content. Like either way, <laughs> just light the match and see what happens. <laughs> hundred wins or hundred losses, yeah. you know, it's all um, good. But you know, there's something you know just sort of gutsier about that. I think um, I, I do think that um, the other way, the Oakland A's approach is easier is not the right way but it's 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 less difficult than the go for broke you know um and i think that it's it's more likely to work out uh but i think the go for broke you're more likely to to have a parade you know um i think it would be easier to be a fan of the team that well i I think there's no question about it you're he should be the fan of the team that you can kind of pencil in at least 84, 85 mm-hmm. victories a season. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe in some years you get in the low 90s. And, you know, o- Oakland, um, where the Royals were fortunate to take full advantage of their small, what, what now history shows us was a small window, but they took full advantage of that small window. Mm-hmm. Oakland has never taken full advantage of the yeah. large window of opportunity right. they've created for themselves, partly because – they got it shoved up their rear ends by Justin Verlander in a deciding game in the ALDS a couple of times, mm-hmm. you know, in a two, you know, in a two-two DS series, and mm-hmm. they couldn't beat Verlander. Um, so, you know, if, if things had fallen a different way, maybe one time they break through, and and they're the model of of totally. baseball. Yeah, I mean, they they. Um you know, you might want to double check me, but they 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 blew a big lead in the eighth inning of a wild card game about five years ago as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, I believe you're right on that. They, they, they've had some some weird things happen. You know, and the you know the famous quote. I mean, Billy Bean has accomplished so much in his career, and he's he's a model for you know in a lot of ways. But uh, the my air quotes stuff don't work in the playoffs is like, you know, one of the things that would be on his career's to his career tombstone. And, and look, like, I, I don't know. Sometimes there, there's a causation correlation, you know, issue with this. Uh, it seems logically that a team, especially in those early years, that's built basically with Zito Hudson and, um, whom I forget the, the other one, uh, Mol- yeah, Mark Mulder. Um, the you know a team like that should be pretty damn tough in the playoffs you know and it, and a team that can draw walks and get on base and maximize scoring chances like that so you know maybe it's one of those things if you put it in a computer simulator and a thousand times like the A's would have won a World Series or two by now or at least been to a World Series or two by now maybe it, it would show that the Royals just got really really lucky that you know not just that wild card game but then the the game four the next year in the DS, in the division series, you know, that's, those are lucky breaks. Maybe that's what it would prove, but um, that's what's happened. <laughs> you know, uh, you can't change history. That's the thing. That's what's happened. So if you on balance, ask yourself, would you rather have the last 10 years of the Royals or the last 10 years, of the A's or whatever time frame, you know, modern time frame you want to use, wouldn't you take the last 10 years of the Royals I w- as a fan, yeah. as a writer and a fan? Yeah, no, I, I think you would. And you know, what's funny though, is I, like, it's just like a human nature thing. Maybe we'll, veering off topic here but um, I feel like there's a very much a grass is greener 
you know, kind of thing just with, with human nature. And I, I wonder if the percentage of people in Kansas City, there'd be a lot that would say, no, you, you, you will pry that parade away from my cold, dead hands, right? Um, but I think there's a lot of Royals fans the last couple of years, you know, watching 207 losses that would say, God, the A's do it. You know, why can't we? And I'm sure there's a lot of people in Oakland, you know, however many A's fans there are in <laughs> Oakland, a huge percentage of them will say, like, we've seen this movie over and over and over again. We've never seen that parade. Do you, do you think? Literally, they've seen the movie. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a good movie, too. I, I, I like the movie. I, it, you know, I think it was up for uh, an Oscar that year, too, yeah. like for Best Picture, if I remember right. But um, I was going to say, do you think the fact that they did win it makes it easier to maybe move towards like a, a Oakland sort of a thing? Like, okay, you know, um, it wasn't that long ago as opposed to when you're building the first time and it's been 30 years that you feel like you have to do something to get this one and then you can try and build long-term after that. I mean, do you feel like yeah. that plays into it, just the emotional sort of, you know, go for broke to get this thing because it hasn't happened since, you know, yeah, three decades? You know what's funny is logically what you just said, I think, makes complete sense. Um, and this is just, yeah, this is just <laughs> my perception. And, and, you know, you guys know this as well as I do, so tell me if you disagree. But um, it seems like in a lot of corners of Royals fandom, those two pennants in the parade did not earn this front office a ton of, like, benefit of the doubt. You know, it seems like there's there's still a lot of – and look, like, they've made mistakes. You know, I'm not saying they're, they're – you know, even close to perfect. They've made mistakes, but it, I don't hear a lot of, well, we got a parade, so let's, you know, in Dayton, I trust. I hear a lot of, yeah, but then they gave Chris Young that big contract and Alex Gordon didn't work out and Ian Kennedy and, you know, all that, that's what I hear. And maybe negative is, is you're, you're more likely to say that than you were if, if you believe in Dayton, you're less likely to reach out to the local sports writer and say, I really like Dayton and this is going to work, you know? But that, that's my perception. It seems like there's a lot of people, that, you know, Dayton got lucky, <laughs> and and you know this isn't going to work the second time. I think the the, the back to back the, the two hundred and seven is the you know obviously the the issue here. Yeah. Um, if they had gone as they did in the in sixteen and seventeen five hundred five hundred and continued something like that you know while they're trying to rebuild. Yeah. But but to to bottom out to to be what they were pre Dayton. Yeah. That's what's that, that's what disappointed me. Mm-hmm. I can remember having a conversation with you guys a few years ago, uh, post-World Series champion Royals, about how I thought they would uh, continue to be a factor in the division because that's just the way baseball seemed to have been built. You, you weren't good for a small spurt of time. You were good for, you know, a, you know, a long window, and you weren't in the, you know, not necessarily in the playoffs every year, but at least competitive most years. The Royals' window ended up being really darn short, and it looked for a lot of reasons, right? Contracts, decisions that were well, made. Yeah, but like one, one quick thing. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. No, go ahead. But um, you know, the same way they got in some ways lucky in, in some specific games and all that stuff. Um, I'll always be curious what would have happened in 2016 if that foul ball in Chicago sure. didn't happen. I mean, how many teams it took, lose? It took out Moose and Alex. Yeah, how many, how many teams lose two All Stars on one? <laughs> you know, non-play basically. I mean, that, that was a incredibly bad break. And then, and shoot, I, I think it was 2017, right? But th- there was a year that they had won something like nine out of 10 and then made that move at the deadline to get like Trevor Oaks and, you know, those guys. And at that point, look, that trade turned out to be terrible. Oh, with the, the Maurer, um, the... Uh, yeah, Brandon Maurer, Maurer. and uh, Buckter, Ryan yes, Buckter, I think yep. was in that deal. 
Um, it think, turned out to be a terrible. Strom was one that they gave, didn't they? Yeah, they, they gave, gave him Matt Strom, Strom. Strom. And, uh, and then a minor leaguer who's turned yeah. out to be a really good player, at least could be a really good player for the Padres. But, um, you know, if, if the trade doesn't happen or if, if it, the trade works out or if the year before that, that foul ball doesn't happen, I just, you know, that window would look a lot different, right? If, if they had made three or even four postseasons instead of just two, it, it, I think it would look a little bit different. I, and, and that would take off some of the sting from 207 losses, right? Yes. And the other, and the other thing I think about is the Royals are the only team in the division that's won a World Series and that's right. s- since the White Sox in, in 05. Yeah. So I just had trust in the leadership there. And in the last two years, this division's been terrible. I mean, the White Sox have been terrible. The Tigers have been terrible. Um, the, the, and the Twins have been able to take advantage of that and rise up to a level of you know, postseason competency. I don't think the Twins were a 101-win team last year because they were a great team. They were a 101-win team because they played in the AL Central. And they got to beat the Royals, the White Sox. And and I just thought the Royals, I don't know, two, three years ago, I thought the Royals were in a position to be that team. Um, uh, But decisions were, like like we said, decisions were made. um, And and, and now they're they're at the bottom with with the others. And they're in a tough spot, too, because, you know, they're basically doing the same thing as the White Sox, but the White Sox are ahead of them. And, you know, in in that building phase, or at least that's the way it looks. And it's just... That's hard too. You you want to be up when everybody else is down, and you know. Uh, so so what happens if you know the Royals are almost as good as they were in thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, but their record's not Ooh. as good because you know some of the other teams in the division are better. There's a lot of factors Ooh. that are, you know in and out of your control. You know, Cleveland's been criticized over the last couple of years for not making the move that yeah. other you know they, they haven't had to. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. I mean, not not if their objective was to win the division, or and it wasn't. They didn't win it last year. They were in the wild card, but. Uh, but if the objective was to make the postseason, playing in the Central, they didn't have to make a move. Yeah, and that, that was a solid. I don't know they just traded Kluber, but you know they had pitching. Sure, you know, they did. And, and when you have that kind of starting pitching, um, you know that as long as they stay healthy, right? And that is a big, shiny, flashing asterisk. But um, you know, if you have that starting pitching, it's, it tends to be a little bit more sustainable. It does make me wonder. I mean, in one pitcher, I don't know how to really quantify how much difference one pitcher makes, but. Um, if you had that homegrown guy in your rotation, you know, Giordano, how much do you mm-hmm. think over, like, in the last couple of years, like, what? how would you quantify, like, what difference that would have made for them where you look at the rotation these last couple of years and it's just been these moving parts and getting guys in Rule 5 and, you know, paying money for some guys that you end up not getting what you hoped yeah. out of them? That's a hell of a point. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, yeah we talked for half an hour and didn't bring that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very significant, I think, and and, and did – as, as we look back on it, um, altered the course of, of the Royals. Yeah. So, I, I will I will always believe. There's no way that you can ever prove or disprove it, right? But I will always believe that he was going to have a monster year. I, he had one in him, didn't he? I mm-hmm. mean, just you, just stuff was. Yeah. At Game Six in 2014. Yeah. He, he was just when he was on, man. Gosh, mm-hmm. that guy was so good. Mm-hmm. So good. All right, guys. Hey, great great talking to you. Um, Baseball in the offseason is always fun to talk uh, talk about. So for Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Lynn Worthy, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes on KansasCity.com and the True Blue app. Thanks to Randy Mason and Derek Donovan for producing today's episode. 
And hey, where you can leave a rate and review, please do that. It helps. We'll be back on Wednesday for another episode of Sports BKC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.